you're tuned in to the Neo Academy podcast. My name's Mark, and welcome to another episode of Neo Chats, deep dive conversations into the culture of education. Okay, so thank you, Kumal Shah, for being here today. Uh, a very warm welcome from the other side of the globe. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm so great. How are you, Mark? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. I'm really good. And feeling quite energized after finishing your book, um, Raise Your Hand, Call for Consciousness and Education, and I really, really got a lot out of it. When, when did you actually, uh, when was the, the, the release date? I mean, how it's really recent, isn't it? Yes, actually, it's been about, I want to say I released, gosh, um, September 9th. So I guess you're reminding me, it's been two months. <laughs> September 9th. And what a whirlwind it must have been since then. Yes, it has been. You know, it's it's been amazing in just terms of, you know, people like yourself and other people who have reached out after reading, a, you know, parts that resonated with them or parts that made them curious or asked more questions and you know, I, I remember going, whoa, people are reading my book? Like, that's odd, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then to have a positive response like that, I think for myself, at least, it was it's very been humbling by any means, because, you know, all you really want is for individual people to resonate with the message that you're trying to put out into the world. And so it's been, it's been really beautiful to hear, hear the kind words. I think it's even more for me personally, it's more than even just the message, and we'll get stuck into the book in a second. But um, like I've never spoken to you personally, um, you know, this yeah. is the first time we're meeting face to face, but I felt very um, connected to your journey. It's something you talk about a lot, mm. you talk about vulnerability, you talk about the authentic self, um, um, which is something that, my goodness, it's, it's so, so important. And I saw that on your LinkedIn presence with uh, the way that you were posting around your feelings about the, the journey towards publication, about, you know, actually holding your book for the first time. Uh, celebrating with friends and family uh, and I felt like I was right there with you you know and mm. I've, I, I've I've often had the idea of writing I mean I, you know I write articles and things I've often had the idea about writing a book but never really been called truly called to do it and and witnessing your journey has actually really lit, lit a fire under me um, wow that's amazing and yes I always tell everyone I'm like you want to write a book, it's possible, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. But to your point, you know, one thing I've really realized is community is so important to me and having the support of people probably has been the, the most um, amazing part of it and also has made me appreciate it more than ever, right? Because as you mentioned, this is not something you can just do yourself right? We need, we need the community and the support. Um, but it's been amazing sharing my journey. And to your point, you know, it's interesting because people, when they read the book too, they go, oh my gosh, like, you know, this part made me cry. Like I felt like I was in the room with you, you know, yeah. or these situations. And, you know, I had an interesting, um, one person had reached out and said, you know, this felt like it was very cathartic for you. <laughs> it felt like it was kind of like your diary where you were yeah. trying to share your stories. And I said, you know, in a lot of ways it was because so much had happened over five years of teaching. And, you know, as we know, education and teaching is such a whirlwind. And then to be able to sit down and actually reflect and actually write some of those stories and really think about those moments. I mean, it's, it's truly a different experience in itself. Yeah, I would concur with that. I mean, I had the same sense um, from reading it that, that it, it seemed like um, there was a lot of emotion um, manifest in the pages you know which uh, which I, I enjoy you know I, um, I've got not very much time for a small talk and you know I, I really like to uh, to connect with things that I'm engaging with and, and your book definitely felt like that and <clears throat> one thing I, I also liked about it was that it was um, you know it's challenging I mean as I read through the pages you know I was kind of all, already um, subconsciously putting it in sort of different boxes so as you started mm -hmm. to, to put, you know, reveal the anecdotes that reminded me of like some of Sir Ken Robinson's books, you know, where it's, uh, yeah. it's up over anecdotes. I like, you know, it's not, you do have, you know, citations and studies and things through there, but it doesn't feel like an academic text. It feels like an attempt to, to connect, um, which I really, really like. And what I, what I loved most about it was, um, you know, as, a, as an educator myself, you know, I, I really love, um, I'm always looking for more arrows in the quiver, you know, more ways in which I can 
communicate these things to other people or connect with them or make them, um, you know, plant seeds. And I loved your use of yeah. analogies, you know, your, your, the creative use of analogy in there, like your, uh, the QWERTY keyboard for unlearning, for example, mm. was mm-hmm. simple and powerful. Um, you know, it was something we could all relate to. Um, so your use yeah. of metaphor there, your use of prompts for reflection as well. You know, there was a real, um, you know, it was like, come all the educator was definitely present in there <laughs> as well. Like, how can I no. get this across? How can I uh, make people uh, internalize it or help people to internalize it? Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is that was quite challenging because we all have ideas. We all have visions. But to put it on paper is a very different experience, right? So when you have all of a vision, for example, and then to actually write it in a way and communicate it in a way that others may at least be able to receive it and have access to it, right? In some ways, accessing your brain a little bit, <laughs> that yeah. in itself was a process. And, you know, I had a team of write editors and fellow authors who were helping me along that journey because there were definitely moments where I'm going this is what I want to say but how do you say it in a way that someone can understand it mm-hmm. right or how do I say it where it resonates um, and that's what's so beautiful though because when I was able to interview over 70 people internationally about this concept it was so powerful in itself just to hear their stories, right? And just hearing parts of their own educational journeys, whether it was as a student or as a teacher or as an educational leader. And so being able to even share their stories was so powerful in itself as well. Yeah, it's funny, it doesn't actually feel, when you said you interviewed like 70 people, I mean, it doesn't feel, um, it's not a heavy book, you know, it's not, there's, there's such a real flow to it going through and I think that's mm-hmm. that's um the real strength of it as well you know it was uh, I finished it quite quite quickly and I went back and sort of dived into a few pieces again um to sort of you know but it, but it was easy to make my way through and I'm wondering because so for me and I think a lot of other people out there that you, you get different things from from this you know I mean for me it yeah. was quite a sense of uh it was validation in a way you know it's um for me mm-hmm. what I took from it is these are the kinds of things I need to be reading to um to keep the fire lit you know um because obviously you go out there the narratives uh are this is not the common thing that we hear out there this is not the common discussion um right one of the things you mentioned was the metaphor about you know uh we're constantly putting out fires without looking for the arsonist and that really struck me because It's discussions I've been having in the last few weeks about um, the essay mills being banned in the UK and Australia. You know, these uh, services where students contract out uh, for uh, essay writers, you know, and they pay somebody to write their essays. And the discussion was just so uh, intense around the ethics of it and whether or not it should be banned and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I felt like I'm just, am I going insane here like why are we not talking about what is driving people to do this in the first place why are they so disconnected <laughs> yeah and exactly. sometimes I you know I, I get the point I'm questioning my own sanity you know am I I don't hear this uh, and then I'm reading your book and I'm like okay thank you come out this is okay <laughs> so I'm this is what I'm getting from it but what I'd like to ask you is about for when you give this to um teachers who are in, you know, they're in the mainstream system. They are in a system that you know intimately, you know, and you know exactly what they're experiencing. And I'm talking about the teacher that's perhaps not consciously um, thinking about what is wrong or with the wider system. It's maybe just a sense of I'm overwhelmed, I'm frustrated, you know. Um, how, How do you find your book has connected with them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think anyone who's more of a traditionalist or who has never actually thought about this, it's been interesting because the first thing they said is, it made me think. It made me think about and question my own education growing up and also what I'm doing in the classroom. And to me, that's a win because the first thing for anyone is to actually sit back and go, wait, let me look back on my own journey and see how these parts really resonate. Now, do I expect them to go the whole system is flawed? No, because we're not there yet. And that's okay, right? I think for most of us, 
not everyone is an early adopter to change. Most of us take a long time until it's something that's mainstream or is actually happening, whether we're talking about Ubers or Airbnbs or any shift we see in society, right? It takes time. And so it's, I've been pleasantly surprised though, because one teacher who reached out to me after reading, you know, she said, it just felt like I was being seen for the first time that everything I was going through, I wasn't crazy, you know? And I went, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful that you felt seen by, by the frustrations of the system itself, right? Now, here's the other thing. I think a lot of teachers are aware that the system is flawed. And at the same time, they are doing a job within the system and that's their responsibility, right? It's every person who works in a toxic workplace because it's their job and they can sit here and try to shift the culture or they can kind of just go with it, right? And so I think a lot of people kind of just put up with it. And I think for a lot of teachers, it's fueled by the love of the job. It's fueled by their students. And so for them, they're going, do I fight all of this or do I just either succumb to what, what, can, what do I actually have control over? And in many ways I go, I understand. I understand why you feel that way. And a lot of what I talk about in the book is when we become more conscious, the job can actually feel lighter. It can actually feel better. You know, I think a lot of times teachers, and I felt this when I was in the classroom too, it felt that everything was being always added on, right? We have a new curriculum. It needs to happen now. We have this professional development workshop this weekend. It needs, you need to be here for that, right? Whatever it may be. So it always felt like the pile never ended. And I always say when we become conscious and more present, there's a calmness that we can actually bring into space that can actually shift our, our teaching in so many beautiful ways. However, it's hard to sit here and say, these are the quantitative results, right? Sometimes you just have to experience it and feel it in order to understand. And teachers who are doing this do see shifts in themselves, right? Those are the same teachers who may decide to stay in the classroom or may decide to shift this culture within their own school setting. But it has to start with that first step of kind of being uncomfortable, right? And really asking yourself, like, what am I doing in the classroom? What does it take to be conscious? You know, I always say, and I know I talk about it in the book, like, in many ways, it's easy to be on autopilot. It's easy to go with the system because everyone's doing it, right? And we are a tribal kind of society where groupthink is a big part of how we live our lives. And so to break out of that is not necessarily easy, but it can be easy for yourself, right? It's, it's just how you are showing up. There's beauty in that in itself. And so how do we do it to lighten ourselves a little bit? And, and at least that was my journey as a teacher from going to survival mode to trying to be more conscious in the classroom. When you're connecting with teachers, I wonder, how do you meet the challenge of, and I imagine it's a challenge, you refer to it in your yeah. book, um, the fact that teachers are very, well, obviously very, part of their identity is, is merged with what they do, uh, and yeah. what we do. I mean, it's, I think, you know, it's common, you talk to educators, and I think we all agree, you know, uh, you're, you're not there for the money. If you were, you're in the wrong place. Um, you know, you're there to make a difference. Yeah. You know, you, you want to, you, right. it's an altruistic thing. You, you've got this reason to get out of bed in the morning. You want to do your best, you know, so part of your identity is, is explicitly connected with what you do. And therefore it can be tricky to talk about this without triggering um, feelings of defensiveness. Yeah. And I, I notice you, you do see the book, with caveats and hey I'm not talking about you I'm talking about um the system you know, it, it is <laughs> yeah. in there and I you know and I, I saw that and I thought it's good <laughs> that you put that in there um but so in right. terms of actually you know consulting and working day-to-day -day with teachers and things how do you how do you approach that to sort of um right. ensure that they they're not uh, going into a reactive mode yeah well the first thing is to acknowledge it <laughs> is to understand that that is going to happen and there is going to be resistance. And also it's to understand that not everyone will be bought in and that's also okay. But how do you get the majority of the people in the space to feel seen, feel heard, and understand that they may come out of here with an outcome that could actually provide more relief for them, right? So if you are to sit there and go, these are the pain points, these are the frustrations we all have, 
So I'm not sitting here and saying that I'm going to somehow make your job necessarily easier. But what I am saying is through this work and becoming more conscious and self-aware, we may be able to look at our job and our students and our lives very differently. And so how do we kind of cultivate that mindset even if the external circumstances are not changing, right? And a lot of what I talk about in the book is our external reality is a lot of it is a reflection of our inner. So if we're not doing that work, then we are going to continue to have those external frustrations and be reactionary and so forth. So I think a part is acknowledgement. And the second is sharing my own story. You know, what I talk a lot about is I never questioned it either, right? I was the teacher who was standing in the classroom and, you know, trying to figure out classroom management and trying to instill fear in my students and, you know, doing all of the things to try to just get through the day, to be honest. And it took me years to get to the point and went, wait, when I become more conscious of myself, whether it's through personal self-care or doing the really deep work of unlearning, then I can come back into the classroom with a very just different set of eyes. That's how I see it, right? I think in the book I talked like you're putting on a new pair of glasses. That's really it. And you see things clearer. And so that's really what it is too, because as we know, we all resonate with stories. And so to even share mine and go, I was sitting there right with you. And I felt all of these things and really tapping into that, I think is very important. Um, and then being able to kind of give the step-by-step process to start that journey. And one of the first things I say is, I think it's really critical that we look at our own educational experiences. A lot of what we do is it's a check mark, right? Our society says, well, yeah, go to elementary school, then middle school, then high school. That's just the way it is. Like, that's just how we do things here, right? And it makes sense because standardization is a big part of our schooling system since we're serving so many kids. Now, with that said, it's now asking ourselves, well, how do I get through a journey of going what was my educational experience? You know, what did I perceive as success growing up? What did my parents tell me? What did my teachers tell me? What type of student was I? Because until we do, we will constantly, that will affect the way we show up in the classroom because we have all of these personalized experiences. And one thing I say is there's, everyone has their own unique story, right? Everyone has their own unique experience with education, which is why it is even more critical to actually look back and try to understand what we went through. And some may say, well, that's irrelevant. (laughs) You know, why do I have to look at my own schooling? I'm here. I know the skill sets, you know, I'm learning how to do the lesson plan. Like, this is bogus. This is crazy. Yet, I felt that when I started doing that unlearning process, I was shocked, right? Because I was applauding the students that were like me. And I didn't know that. It was so unconscious. I didn't even know that I was applauding the students who turned in their homework and were, you know, quite on the nerdy side and kind of like the good kids, you know, and sitting in their desks all silent. Why did I connect with them so much? Well, because they reminded me of me when I was young. And that took deep reflection to understand that because I was actually negating so many students in that classroom who were amazing and brilliant and gifted. And yet I was not addressing my own biases in that moment, right? And so I think that's why it's also so critical because we all know these are kids, this is their lives and how we message and communicate with them is so important for their development and how they see themselves. I mean, this sounds like um, in sort of getting into what you mean by consciousness, because it is something, it's like an evolving concept through the book. I mean, I think I, I remember you mentioned, I mean, you know, vulnerability, social, emotional learning, authentic self, uh, holistic approach, um, and then at a whole school level being preventative instead of reactive in terms of, you know, the way we uh, take responsibility for charge and care of young people when we know that they're being failed, you know, um, by the community or by, you know, sometimes at home there are, there's things going on that they can't control. So there's a lot, you yeah. know, there's a very expansive um, concept of consciousness in, in the book. And I wonder if before you start talking about this with um, with educators, I imagine, I imagine that one thing you've got to do is really look, get them to, to look critically at themselves. And you mentioned the teacher, yeah. the, the mask in there. And that really struck yeah. me because the mm. teacher persona versus the home persona, um, you know, and the, the authentic self that you, you, you can't bring that to work. 
um, I think is something that would resonate with quite a lot of teachers, you know, um, and I, I still remember being in the classroom and how I found it very difficult to just um, go directly from the classroom and I was teaching in a university to go skateboarding mm -hmm. with friends in the same clothes wow. because I, I had to physically, even though that my clothes are, I've got one outfit for everything, you know, um, <laughs> but I felt like I physically had to change them <laughs> to feel that teacher persona disappearing. So I felt like uh, the skateboarder version of me, you know, and it was only mm. through that process that I thought that's not right. I should be me mm. in any situation. Um, and, it, mm. you know, that was I remember the moment of realizing that you mentioned it in the book. How do you help um, educators with actually deconstructing mm. that that persona and encouraging them to bring their authentic self to to to, you know, to show up as themselves in all situations? How do you actually yeah. do that? That's a great question. And, you know, the first thing I will say is we all code switch. We all have to do that. That's the role we play in the world, right? Who we are as who I am as a sister might be different as how I show up as a daughter, how I show up as a friend. So we're always putting on roles. And, you know, my push is more is not to sit here and say, well, just be how you are when you're on the couch watching Netflix while you're teaching. <laughs> I mean, we know that's really unrealistic. <laughs> What I am saying, though, is somehow as teachers, I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, at what point are we putting on a mask because we feel it's going to either protect us or because we're doing it as a point of validation, but we're actually do not doing it to connect with our students on a deeper level. And so that's ultimately what it is. So what I am saying is, you know, and I talk about in my book is, hey, you know, I used to show up every day and I was like, I'm the authority figure. You must respect me. And I didn't even know I was putting on a mask because that is not who Como is, okay? But I thought that that was what would resonate with them. So I did put on a inauthentic mask. And over time, what I realized is no, like what my kids really need to see is me. And that doesn't need to be, you know, all of my secrets. What it does need to be is, hey, this is my family, this is my culture, this is how I was brought up, you know, the human aspects of me. Hey, you know, today, Miss Shaw is feeling a little down because my family left. And sometimes that's really hard when they leave. And it makes me feel kind of sad today, but I'm still going to be here for all you. But you, I wanted to model for them that I also have emotions, right? And that I'm also going through things just to validate where maybe my students were without realizing it. And so I think it more comes down to that. Now, here's the thing though, for most of us our entire lives, we have been given permission for some emotions, but not others. And so to model that vulnerability in the classroom is actually very difficult for most educators. And they also may say the, the all questioning thing, which is, well, we don't have time, <laughs> right? We don't have time, we have a lesson to teach. And I always say, you know, that's true. But when we're older and we're adults and we're in the workplace, there is something about being seen and heard. There are those moments where check-ins where we actually like it. You know, you see the people who grind in the workplace and they do get burnt out because in many ways, the human aspect of themselves is not being cultivated. And our students are the exact same. So even taking out that five minutes to connect with them and share a story from the weekend or share something in your life is very, very important. Now, here's the thing though. We, it's un, I think for most educators, it is hard to deconstruct that until they really reflect on their own educational experiences. Right. You know, to so stay here and say, with that first then. Yes, mm -hmm. because, hey, let's, you know, you have a mask on. People will be like, what are you, what are you talking about? I have a mask <laughs> yeah. on, you know? Yeah. That's, that's not going to work. Um, <laughs> so it really starts with yourself and that reflection is the first step in because it's personal and everyone has a personal story with it and it's easy to access okay, now we can take what happened in your life. Now let's actually correlate it or connect it with where you are now. Do you see similarities? Do you see differences? Do you see the idea of success you were given growing up? Does that actually matter to you now? What do you think success looks like? Hey, you're not, maybe not just a teacher, you're also a parent, you have children. Okay, what does that look like for you now? Right. And so it's, it's making those connections that can kind of shed those layers slowly. And, you know, the other reality of it all is that the reason we put the mask on, or at least I realize, is that sense of validation. If I'm the authority figure in the classroom, 
then my kids are looking at me. I am the person who makes the decisions. I am the one who gives them permission to make choices. So at the end of the day, I hold the reins. I hold the control. And yeah. this could be consciously or unconsciously. A lot of times we don't even realize we're doing it. You know, I recently talked to a teacher in Germany, Christian, and, you know, we had that conversation where I said, well, I think it's important that you ask yourself, you know, what are the systems you have in your classroom that are about your kids or are they about you? Who are they for? You know, and that was kind of like, a, oh, that's interesting. You know, and I said, well, because a lot of times we like as educators, because a lot of times we are not appreciated. And so we like the idea of, well, the student has to come to me before they can leave or, you know, the student has to come to me before they can get X, Y, Z. And so it becomes about permission. And the reality is, is our, our kids are so brilliant and so much better than that. You know, like I used to have kids who would get up out of their desk to get something from their backpack or, you know, get something for the back. I was just never one to be like, what are you doing? No. You know, I'm like, no. I'm like, you're a human being. I'm sure you're doing just fine. But we had built that foundation of trust <laughs> on a human element of things that allowed for us to have that, where they knew too, that they would not do anything out of insensitivity to me, right? It was just, oh, well, she trusts me, it's, you know, it's okay. Like she knows that it's fine. Yeah. Um, so that was a long-winded question, <laughs> but <laughs> I, would say, I would say it takes time. I would say it takes time. <laughs> I'll bet it does. And it's, again, we've, we're kind of broadening out. That's another thing I, I, I can add into part of the definition of consciousness, which is, um, building relationships with your with your learners as well as a foundation stone. I mean, there's something that there's a, there's another narrative that, uh, or a theme that runs through your book, and you you alluded to it there. We talked about the example with Christian about um, systems that were in place. You know, are they for you? Are are they for your learners? Um, and thinking about permission and control, and mm. it does seem like when you zoom out so much of this is is about administrative convenience or about kind of this creating a self-reinforcement of a control structure which goes back yeah. to your original point about you know from uh, it being a it's military and, and industrial roots of education um it does seem like a, i keep coming back to the same phrase whenever i i have these conversations that there's a there's a the progress comes from letting go in mm. a in a certain sense no i mean yeah. Trying to control and measure everything. And, and a lot of the metrics, as you said, you know, the A, B, C, the one, two, three, um, it's great in an Excel sheet. It's really easy to report and run up the flagpole to ministers and things like that. And they understand. And um, But that's administrative convenience. It doesn't suit learners. It doesn't reflect learning. And all yeah. the stuff that does reflect learning, as you say, is, is very difficult to measure. But it comes down to a point where it's like, well, of course, we need to know if we're doing well, but if that needs to be done, say, qualitatively, if it needs to be through conversation, if it needs to be through reflection, you know, what is the, what is the fear around that? And again, it's just that letting go and, and being like, okay, I'm not completely in control. I'm not mandating this situation. Yeah. It seems like a very uh, difficult thing for people to, to actually embrace I find, especially the further up um, the chain you go. You make, wow. I mean, that's a beautiful point. And, you know, I will say letting go is quite the liberation. But I mean, how many of us, you know, even struggle to forgive someone, right? Letting go is very hard. Yeah. <laughs> Most yeah. of us as humans have a very difficult time with that, including myself. And so, when you have structures in place, like I said, you know, it's easier to kind of follow the rules and the structure and the hierarchy of it all, because change means I now have to adopt a new mindset. My job will become harder and I might have to put in more work. And it also just leads to a lot of uncertainty. Letting go leads to a lot of uncertainty. But what I have found in my life, it is the most beautiful thing. And a very tangible, tangible example is when I was in the classroom. You know, how did I shift from being in the front to being in the back? Well, a big part of that was letting go, right? It yes. was going, well, what happens when my students, you know, when they realize this is their classroom, right, as well, it, it's not mine. So how do, I, how do I show that? How do I cultivate that? What does that look like? And of course it was scary. You know, it's not easy. Yes. 
And there were mistakes and errors made throughout that process. But a lot of it, I was very vulnerable with my students. You know, I said, I want this to be about you. And there's going to be times where it's not going to work, but we're going to figure it out together. And ultimately, by my fifth year, I mean, they were running the show. And so I was like, it is possible, right? When we let go of that control, or for me, I really had to let go of the need for validation from my students and realize that the best thing that I could be for them was be a guide. Yeah. I didn't need to be the authority figure. I could just be a guide in their lives. And in so many ways, they respected me more, right? Yeah. Because they're going, oh, I feel empowered in this space. So I can now go ahead and let go of these expectations, even of what a teacher is or who they have to be in this space. Um, in terms of administration and what you mentioned, you know, I always say, oh, you know, until I'm in the, in the top, you know, powerful positions where I can shift things. The reality is that it is very hard. Yeah. And there's a reason mm -hmm. that a lot of times people start their own school, right? Or, yes. you know, kind of go a different route or do the alternative because it's so hard to make those hierarchical changes that we're seeing out of conveniency, out of funding, yeah. right? And so it's, we, we forget who is at the bottom, but the funny thing is, is are they really at the bottom? Because we're all here for our learners. That's why we're here. Yes. So they're actually at the top. They should be the utmost at like importance in terms of what we're saying. And, um, you know, I don't actually talk about this much in my book, but I went to business school and I was doing it through the lens of being in education. And the first mm -hmm. thing I had to realize was, oh my gosh, these kids that we have in our schools, you know, they are consumers. They are our clients, right? We are here for them. And yet, what are the feedback systems? You know, where's the A-B testing? Where's, the, where's all of these things you're supposed to do in a business setting to, to make sure a product or service is conducive to your consumer? And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is then it comes down to the children, the child-adult relationship a lot of times because there is a power dynamic there. And yes. so we sometimes negate that they're the consumer and we go, well, we know what's best for them. You know, they don't know what success looks like. Like we, you know, college is the way to go or this, you know, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad. What I'm saying is we kind of make those choices for them without actually asking them what they want. Um, and there are schools out there who are shifting the model. And that's also beautiful to see that it is happening. People are trying, but the hierarchy, especially in, in the public schooling system, seems to, mm -hmm. seems to be the same. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how it is in Scotland, but at least that's what it is like here in the U.S. Well, I mean, interesting you mentioned that because in Scotland, there's just been quite a scathing review by the OECD about the um, Scottish Qualifications Authority, which... Um, the you know the Scottish uh, authorities to their credit immediately moved to disband it and bring in stakeholders, bring in parents, learners, and teachers, and say what can be better in its place. You know, and and actually that it's it's an interesting point. It leads me on to the next thing. What it's talking about is which is your your kind of consultancy work because um, in Scotland we have a system. We've got the curriculum for excellence, which I, I encourage you to have a look at because I think you'll find that if you read that. Uh, now, mm -hmm. apart from the, you know, the stigma around the word curriculum, you know, which, you know, makes my hair stand on end. Actually, it's not, it's not a bad word itself. You know, it's just a, a structure, a system. You know, when you, when you look at how it's um, written in Scotland, it has all the right things in there. It has a focus mm -hmm. on well-being. It has a focus on social, emotional learning. It has, you know, teachers are absolutely encouraged to step back and be guides and not occupy the space in which decision-making takes place in which mm -hmm. leadership can't flourish because you're hog and all space at the front anyway. So, you know, there's all that stuff is endemic in the system, but the expression is different. Mm -hmm. And there's a yeah. wild variety of, of um, you know, ways that it shows up, uh, you know, and, and, and we still have, I mean, I spoke to somebody who just came through teacher training and they were still talking about um, things like learning styles when that's been completely debunked. <laughs> Know, yes. <laughs> um, several years ago and it's actually very harmful I think you know so there, there's a bit of a disconnect and, and things are struggling to catch up but I, I like your approach because I think you you know 
if we're going to have change, we need, obviously, we need these, um, okay, you've got these kind of avant-garde outliers. You've got, you know, Learn Life and the Green School and uh, New School and High Tech yeah. High and all these places. Um, they're, they're great because they're showing all the skeptics and say, well, that can't work in reality. Say, hey, look at those guys. They're, you know, go and speak to any of the learners there and tell me that we're mistaken here. So we need those examples. But at the same time, and I'm very conscious of this, um, as we wait for this very slow transition to happen, what about all these learners? And, you, you know, I think about the very personal examples you gave in your book. And, I, you know, I really felt for each one of them um, that strong sense of like, are we letting people down? You know, and we can't wait 20 years for a systemic change. So is your approach very much to try to make the maximum amount of an impact within the existing system to kind of meet the system where it is and do the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people. That seems to be the impression I get from what you're trying to do. <laughs> yes, that's a start, right? I mean, if I could sit here and say, I want to revolutionize the whole system. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. And yeah. I also have to be, <laughs> that's idealistic. And right now I'm realistic. And I do think we have to start on the ground. And we have to start with individual people. And a lot of what I say is, you know, systems are made up of people. So if you want to change a system, you have to start with the people and you have to change their mindsets first. And so absolutely, I do think there is something to say about having these conversations and getting people who otherwise maybe never thought about it to start really questioning themselves and the system. You know, I've collaborated so much with people like yourself and so many others who are want to innovate education right they see the flaws they see things that are not working you know they're they're taking their own kids out to try to figure out a new way for them to learn and to educate them which is so beautiful to see but I think I think all in all there's a lot of people who are also kind of just doing this on autopilot because they have not learned anything different and I hope that with these conversations, we can also work with those people as well, right? And the skeptics, not necessarily the skeptics, maybe people who've never had access or the accessibility to even have these conversations in the first place, you know? And so I do think it starts there because if you've seen with any revolution, it always starts with the people. <laughs> it's the people who are standing up against something that they're not okay with. And so the question I really, we have to ask is, you know, where are the parents who are upset, upset about it? Right, you know, because at the end of the day, the parents are also the ones who have a lot of power and say, if they are saying, I'm not going to send my child to the school, that's a lot of weight because for the school, that's money, right? Yes, it's the child, but it's also how they get funded. So there is that conversation of, you know, how do we also communicate with not only teachers, but also parents and the young people and really trying to get everyone to go, hey, maybe this is not okay. How do we all come together to actually make change? Because this is not going to happen with just one vision, right? You can have a vision, but how are you gonna get people to come together and have those conversations and really try to make things feel different and change it, right? So yeah, I mean, this is where I'm at now. I, I hope at some point I can be in a position where maybe you can affect actual laws and things that are out there that we know don't support learners and their well-being. And I also know that this is all a journey. And so whatever change and impact you can make, even if it's one person, that is one more learner or 15 more learners who are going to have a different experience in the classroom. And that in itself is so powerful. Yeah. And that's a powerful message because it's, um, I find it very seductive, you know, the, 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 the idea of um, a, a new paradigm, a new personal learning paradigm. And you, you referenced, um, you know, schools like Montessori and Steiner and things in your, in your book, which are, I mean, it's for years being thought of as the alternative schools and there's a kind of hippie vibe about yeah. it and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Yeah. It's so stigmatized. And now, you know, you look at it with fresh eyes and going, they're <laughs> pretty but you're right about most of it all along, you know, um, and, and it was right there in front of us. Um, it's interesting you mentioned parents as well, because um, not just in terms of parents coming forward and saying, hey, this is not working for, for my children, and I can see it with my own eyes, but it's at the other end as well, when we try to innovate um, and, and, you know, trying to mitigate or trying to work with parents, very natural fear that when you're operating out with what they see as the system, that there's a risk. 
you know, of acceptance. Will my child, you know, when they graduate from this school, will they be accepted into employment or into higher education because they haven't followed the traditional path? And so you're right. It's, it's, it's having conversations with as broad a spectrum of people as possible in the sort of all the stakeholders around, um, you know, the the children who are at the center or the learners at the center, which is why, I mean, I definitely would encourage everyone to read this book, um, educators, (laughs) parents, um, learners as well. I mean, I've, I've, I've sent it to a friend of mine who's always kind of talked to me about, um, uh, her regret that she didn't ever do a master's qualification. Mm. And, and every time I try to sort of say, Hey, it's, really not all it's cracked up to be and it's not the be all and end all and you know and I always get the same response it's easy for you to say you've done a master's and you know but actually yeah. I look back on it and I think I really you know honestly I, I I have no intention of advising people to do that and I work in higher education and I, I often advise people hey it's it's not what it's cracked up to be and be careful with your choices and and try yeah. to round these out a little bit and um, or hey, Mark, can you talk to my 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 son or daughter? They're thinking about dropping out of school. Can you convince them to stay on and do this and that? And say, don't think I can do <laughs> like, that. I don't know if I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, five years ago, I might have tried. Yeah, <laughs> because I believed in that. I was invested in it. But now it's it, it's very very different. So, with all that in mind, um, people are kind of picking up your book and 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 you know and, and it runs through the, the the message of your consulting as well. I think that the first question they would have, and I'd like to ask you about it, is consciousness uh, mm. in education. I mean, what what is that to you? Mm. Yeah, um, I think it's this awareness. One, it's awareness. You know, that's what consciousness is. And I think what I'm trying to do is bring awareness to our educational system and the flaws that run in it. And I feel like, as we know, we have to acknowledge the problem first, right? You know, I am here because there is a problem in the educational system and I want us to become more conscious of it. If I was to talk to you in a more deeper level, then my hope is that we push away from this idea where a lot of our children are being taught that who they become is more important than who they are. And that messaging has become so embedded in our educational system. And I think it's time for us to really cultivate the consciousness that lies in our children in general. You know, our children, no matter what age they are, they have a lot of wisdom. They may not have all the knowledge, Mm -hmm. but they have wisdom. You know, you can see any child when they're outside and they're playing in the dirt and they're so present and they're so in the moment and they're learning and they're learning about relationships and love and kindness and empathy. I mean, all of that is happening all the time. So the real question is, how do we cultivate what's within a child as much as what they achieve? Because what we're seeing is people are spinning their wheels, spinning their wheels. And we saw it a lot during the pandemic. And then they're asking themselves, well, who am I? Because I've done all these things that everyone said I should, Mm -hmm. and yet I'm not fulfilled. Now I, I say I'm not happy. I don't say that because I know happiness is an emotion that's fleeting, just like sadness or anything else. And happiness, is short change. You know, someone's happy when they get a new car and a week later, they don't think about them anymore, right? So Mm -hmm. it's very short-lived. But it's really about that fulfillment, what you feel within yourself and how do you cultivate that? And I think our educational system has completely negated that. And to be fair, fulfillment doesn't necessarily get the people into jobs (laughs) in the economy, right? That's Or it gets them, yeah, into the wrong jobs. And yeah, I mean... Yeah, you know, how are we going to get them in that job that's not really good if they're fulfilled, you know? And I mean, I'm not sitting here and saying everyone's evil and manipulative, but what I am saying (laughs) is that, you know, how do we, I think we've seen in the past year or two of just people who had mental health problems and, you know, were really struggling during these years, you know, isolation, all of these things. And I think we really need to start asking ourselves these questions of like, what are we doing to who these people who were once children, they were students in a, in a classroom. And, you know, where did we go wrong? I think it's time for us to take some responsibility for that and to just sit here and say, well, they're educated, you know, they got their high school diploma and they got their undergraduate degree. Okay, that is great. But what are we missing here, right? What are we missing? Because obviously these people are educated and yet struggling or, you know, they are educated, but they're still quite prejudiced towards people you know what are we what's going on 
And so I think that's really what consciousness is, is this idea of awareness and really, really shining a lot on the system itself. It's a big call, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, <laughs> the, the more, you know, I, I can see why you're busy. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it seems to come down to this idea. You mentioned the phrase, you know, the whole empty vessel theory, um, you know, which I think is so prevalent in education that children are born with as blank pages and, you know, we need to try to write the right things on that page rather than flipping it around and saying, as you say, you what you observe a child playing, um, they know how to learn. They, you know, play-based learning is, is, is our birthright. You know, um, empathy is something that we develop cognitively and effectively as we, as we grow. But yet, and creativity, I mean, which we've not mentioned yet. I mean, you know, these things are, are our birthright. Um, they, are, they are part of us. And yet um, they are drilled out of us by a system that does not um, support it, doesn't recognize it, doesn't value it. Um, until later, you know, you, you come back into the world of um, entrepreneurship and innovation and whatever, and right. suddenly it's prized again. But some, what happened in the middle? You know, it, it, it's missing. And, and I often reflect on these phrases like, you know, the midlife crisis and people oh finding gosh. themselves and things like yeah. that. And, yeah. And I just feel like, you know, if we if we didn't mess up what was already there in the first place, you wouldn't have that. You know, people wouldn't be um, disappearing uh, to, to sort of I need to find out who I am in my 40s or whatever. You know, they, they already know. I mean, yeah, you know, there is and an evolutionary also, part of it, but it's more purposeful all the way through. You know. Yeah. And that's another I love that you said that, because similar to you, I mean, I always say, you know, oh my gosh, when are we going to stop waiting for the bucket to overflow? <laughs> we are yeah. just such a reactionary, you know, you know, it's the same conversations people are having. We'll just go to the doctor if you have pain here. It's like, well, where were the conversations about exercise and nutrition? I mean, it's just, there's no conversations about the preventative. It's always reactionary when something bad happens, right? Oh, I'm not feeling well, so I need to go to a therapist. There is absolutely nothing wrong to go to therapy. But what I am saying is, why are we waiting? You mm -hmm. know, and another thing I say too is, what can we do to equip young people with the tools and the understanding of themselves and how to navigate the realities of the world, because those will always exist, but do it in a way where they don't feel so confused and lost. You know, they have those like tools in the back pocket, like, okay, I know what I can do to navigate the situation. Because for all of us, we're constantly going to be asking ourselves who we are. That's going to be a lifelong journey for all of us, right? Yeah. But how do we do it from a place of questioning and curiosity and more alignment? And what, what, we, what I've seen personally is most people are just doing the day-to-day. The and they're not thinking about any of it until one day something happens in their life and then they question everything, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a divorce or a death or, you know, whatever it is that someone goes through. And so, I, you know, I always say these adults were once children and that's how I, you know, I always say, how do we cultivate conscious children to become conscious adults? That's really what it is because we're so stuck in, looking at the problems of our adults, but it's interesting. I think a lot of times we forget that they were once children and that's the correlation I always want to make as well. It's like, yeah. you know, they were, they were once kids. Like, what are we doing there? Because that's what's led them to become who they are now. <laughs> Do you think it's become easier in, in terms of your consultant? You mentioned things like uh, you reference uh, colleagues of yours working in mindfulness and education, for example, mm -hmm. there yeah. is, it seems like there, there is a wider, uh, embrace or openness um, towards mm -hmm. consciousness in society in general you know where, for example we are aware as a species collectively that um, to save the planet we must develop the ability to empathize beyond generational uh, boundaries you mm -hmm. know we have to empathize with future generations this is a that can only exist you know right at the front here it can't exist in a reactive limbic state um, right. And so I think that the, the narrative generally, um, there is a sense of uh, things opening up in society, perhaps with access to education through technology, more discussion, more sharing. Um, yeah. 
things are moving that way and things like mindfulness and meditation and things you are now being backed up with the the, the hard science neuroscience say hey this this actually happens you know the idea of a, a third eye is not just something you see in drawings <laughs> yeah. you can see it in, in uh, neural imaging you can see this thing lighting up when you're meditating and you know it seems like everything's kind of coming together mm -hmm. um, to support um, being able to talk about these things in more traditional settings I guess is that your experience when you, when you go into schools and you're talking about consciousness mindfulness uh, self-reflection authentic self uh, you know which you it sounds it sounds a bit Oprah Winfrey to a lot of people um, yeah or it did 10 years ago I wonder now do you find people are are ready to to say yeah this is something I want to learn about yes absolutely yeah. I think you know digital innovation the applications that are now out there that makes all of these things also quite accessible for people has led to a different mindset and also I think Again, I always bring it back to COVID and the pandemic. I think a lot of people were forced to really sit with themselves and really start to explore some of these tools because otherwise it was very difficult to get through it. And so I, I think there is definitely a conversation. And I always say the things I'm talking about, I'm not sitting here and saying no one is doing it because people are doing it. There are conversations around mindfulness. There are curriculums that are being implemented in schools about socio-emotional learning. Here is two things that I'll, though I will say that I have a little bit of pushback on. And, and the first is, okay, great, you're doing mindfulness, but how are you presenting it? Are you presenting it as a stress reliever? Are you presenting it as it will make you more productive? Because that is still in the eyes of capitalism. <laughs> that is not actually the true essence of these tools. They, they really are about bringing back to yourself those parts of you that in many ways, a lot of us are not connected with anymore because we have been conditioned by the world to not necessarily connect with it. So it's to go back to that inner voice, that intuition, that gut feeling, you know, those moments when something lights you up versus not and actually going with that, right? Those moments. Yeah. And so that really is why mindfulness and meditation and all of those, if you look at ancient teachings, you know, that's where it all originated from. It's from those modalities, but in the Western world, it has been presented in, in my opinion, not the most authentic way. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I will say that yes, schools are doing it. Yes, there's more conversations. There's more programming for teachers as well, which is beautiful. And I have to say, is it supplemental or is it foundational? Mm -hmm. Because those mm -hmm. are two very different things. It's like, do you, are you at the workplace and do you have a wellness week or is wellness integrated <laughs> in the culture of the workplace? <laughs> a wellness right? week, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> that's common too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And it's, right? it's common. And I've I've fallen into that trap and I've been, you know, asked to help produce materials on, you know, well-being workshops or social emotional learning workshops and, and failed to ask the question, how are you embedding this? How is this supported by a whole school approach? Um, because right. it's not just a workshop. And by the way, I'm not entirely convinced that the people who are delivering it have got their own house in order anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah and that's that's the other thing so I mean that that brings us to kind of really the the, the last question I've, I'd like to ask you and that's about your your consulting in terms of what you offer I mean you know to yeah. to schools I mean I don't know if you work you know directly with parents or do you work directly with learners or whatever but in your consulting I imagine mm -hmm. it's it's generally schools who are your your clients I want to say that um, what is it you actually offer to them yeah, so uh, something I do offer are professional development workshops. And so schools want me to come in and work with their teachers and their educators and start to have these kind of unpeeling is a way to say it and have yeah. those types of conversations. You know, that's kind of something that I love, facilitation and workshops and so forth. I've also worked with a client where we worked more on the back end of things. So that was more of an organizational and cultural shift because I do have a business background. And so consciously thinking about how do you build and sustain a culture within a space that will be something that can work for not just one year, but more than one year. And, and what does that look like, right? So kind of the strategic planning with that. And then I'm also open to having those cultural shifts and conversations, right? Like how do we shift mindsets within this space? How do we create a culture that 
actually values all of these things and actually not only values it for their students, but also for themselves. And I think those, those conversations need to happen, but also can be implemented and integrated with practices and tools, but it takes consistency, it takes work. And so being able to come in and actually have those conversations with leadership and then also implement and plan it out, I think is something that I also love to do as well. And so that's kind of where I am willing to provide with my consulting. And then also at the moment, I'm also speaking. And so seeking out conferences and other places where I can kind of continue this conversation and then also work with like-minded individuals and network and kind of have those conversations again of, you know, what does it look like to integrate it? Because also knowing just like one size fits all does not work in our schooling system, this idea of consciousness will also not work with one size fits all. It's really becoming aware of the situation at hand and then coming up a solution that works for them. Okay. So, um, and the typical sort of time, I mean, I guess it's it's all fluid, isn't it? Um, but I mean, yeah. so, so you're ranging from these workshops, which are, I guess, you're, as you call it, the unpeeling, the professional development, they're really kind of, it's planting the seed, isn't it? And, yeah. and, and, and sort of talking about, well, how can you bring it forward? So it's a bit more um, over to you now. And do you work kind of more long term with any institutions? Yeah, I mean, that's a goal. At the moment, I have not, but I would love to do that because I do think yeah. this is something that takes a time and yeah. it takes work. And, you know, in the education system, when I was working, the one thing I saw is that so many times it's so fragmented. People, you know, schools get excited about a new idea, but then it gets, it falls off because people yeah. are overwhelmed and there's so much happening and so much chaos. And so it's not necessarily always a priority. And as we know, without consistency, it's not going to sustain itself. And so being able to do the long-term projects is ideal because then it can actually lead to growth over time and also accountability in that moment mm -hmm. as well. In terms of accountability, do you try to have a kind of consciousness champion within the school? I mean, do you, is there a way of identifying within the professional development workshops like, hey, yes. you know, <laughs> the person, you've got to yes, I be think the impulse behind this. Building relationships is important especially as an outsider right you're coming yeah. in and so yeah. observation and being able to really get to know people and really try to understand and build those relationships I mean that's if, if that's in the as a teacher that is definitely important now <laughs> so that's very very important and as we know I mean in the classroom too when a kid the kids who kind of everyone geared towards and listened to you know you always try to get that kid on your side a little bit to bring some leadership into the classroom and so that that's that's something you need with adults as well <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely well Kamal it's been amazing talking to you and I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed your book and I would thoroughly recommend it it's called raise your hand call for consciousness and education um, and I will link to your website when we um, repost this as well, because I think it's um, it'll be really interesting for people as well just to see this approach, you know, that you're not kind of going in and, hey, let's tinker with the curriculum or let's train teachers in how to teach better or something. It's it's a much more fundamental level, isn't it? It's much more about stepping back. And I don't think there's a lot of that out there. But in my mm -hmm. limited experience with seeing um, programs that are in this orbit, they have the most impact of anything. Um, yeah. Because, you know, teachers, as you say, they, they, when do they ever get the chance to address that innate kind of um, dissonance, you know, that feeling like something's not right, but when do they ever get the chance to actually stop and reflect? They're so overwhelmed. They're so mm -hmm. frustrated, you know? Um, so it's such a gift that uh, I think a, that a school would would give you a call and say we're gonna. It's a privilege, you know, to say we're gonna make this time to to step back and think about yeah. what we're doing here and why we're doing it, and and address our own experiences and and this learned behaviour and how it manifests itself. Because I don't think um, I've ever seen that in any kind of professional development course. Yeah, you know? I mean. I always say, you know, in servant leadership, if you want to serve the clients or the customers well, you have to serve your employees well. And I think it's more true than ever in the educational system. You know, our teachers need to be valued and seen. And yes, they deserve to go to a professional development workshop. That's not about classroom instruction, but it's about them. 
I think it's about time that we start seeing them for who they are. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, I look forward to following your progress and, you know, continuing Thank to you see your, your posts. And I've never <laughs> seen a post about, I've never seen you post about dancing. And you mentioned it in the book and you say um, that your yes. learning experiences should all make you feel like you feel when you dance. Um, mm. I would like to see some yes. more posts about that. <laughs> okay, sounds good. You've challenged me. I'll have to make that happen now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for your time and the inspiration. And I, and I genuinely, authentically mean that. I got so much out of it. Um, and Thank I'm you. very I grateful it. that you read the book and I will be spreading the word about it. I think it's something that everyone should read. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.